Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled, You Shall Not Steal, was given by Darren Roundson and is the ninth in our series, Who We Are, Defining Community Through the Ten Commandments. Okay, so this morning, 6 a.m., I wrote my message on Thursday night, Thursday, and it's 6 a.m., and I did something I shouldn't have done. I read a commentary that I didn't read before um, last night, and at 6 a.m., I wake up with a, a realization of Scripture that uh, impacted our message today. So uh, fortunately, I was up early enough, and I just got to, I rewrote the whole thing. So, um, so bear with me. But I'm really confident that this is for us this morning. Um, so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be going through quite a few uh, verses. And I would love for you, if you don't have a Bible, to take this Bible with you. Mark it up. Put your name on it. Bring it back. Um, just, t- yeah, you can have a Bible. Keep your hand up. We'll get you a Bible. Um, go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. But before that, there's a story in the Gospel. Jesus is asked, by uh, by a man, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." And then he's followed up, uh, or then the, the man follows up with another question. He says, "Who is my neighbor?" You see, in the Jewish community, when Jesus comes around in the first century. For the last 2,000 years, there is a sense of, of embedded in the mind of the Jewish community of neighborliness. For 2,000 years before Jesus comes, integrated into the culture is this doing good to your neighbors. And so when, when Jesus is asked to his neighbors, who, who, uh, who's your neighbor? Jesus is clarifying what was much debated during the first century because the Jewish community found ways to say that these people are our neighbors and these people aren't our neighbors. But what I want you guys to understand this morning is that for 4,000 years now, there is this sense that we are to do good to our neighbors. And all of that stems from way back to Exodus chapter 20 with the last or... Um, commandments 5 through commandment 9, where God instills in this new community, this community of, of chosen people, this holy nation, this kingdom of priests, He instills what it means to be a good neighbor, what it means to respect your neighbor, what it means to protect your neighbor, what it means to not exploit your neighbor. So the commandment today is Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. Exodus 20:15, you shall not steal. Now I want you to think about this. 2000, 4,000 years ago, give or take, the first time you're hearing this commandment, let's say that you're, you're, you were there at Mount Sinai, and you were a, a nation of slaves, where you, in fact, were the possession of another nation where you were owned by a guy named Pharaoh and his anxious kingdom of oppression, where your value was what you produced. And God rescues you and says, I've taken you out of the land of Egypt to be my, my treasured kingdom, my treasured people. 
And he says to you in, in one of the words of life, one of the permissions for life, one of the markers of what's out of bounds, the Ten Commandments, he says, Thou shall not steal. What do you hear? Yeah, you hear a restriction on relationship. You hear a restriction on what it means you can do and use a neighbor for and what you can't do. But what you also hear is you are given permission to own. You are being given permission to own land. You are given permission to own cattle, to have a family that's not going to be oppressed and taken away by, by an oppressor. You're given permission to respect others, to respect life. Thou shall not steal is a commandment that simply says you guys are given permission to ownership. Now, imagine preparing this message. <laughs> I don't think most of us struggle with, with stealing, although some of us might. We, we might disconnect who we steal from. We might disconnect the the music and the movies, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of getting free music. But most of us don't have an issue with stealing, but, but at the root of this is something much deeper. It's an affirmation of neighborliness. And I'm going to take some time to explain this. Stealing is simply this. It's taking something that doesn't belong to you without permission. And I think most of us learned this when we were probably in preschool, Right? There's some type of moral code about not stealing. But what does it mean to be a good neighbor? You know, Paul interprets this in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians real quick. I'm just going to give you... Stay with me on this because I really believe this is, is honestly a great word for us this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 uh, Paul is talking about new life and what new life looks like. He just went on about old life. And apparently because the Ephesians had a, um, um, what's the word, a, a realistic eschatology. They, they believed that Jesus was coming back very soon. So you had people that stopped working because of it. But there's, there's a problem in the community of faith. There are people in the church that are stealing. And he says in verse 28, hey, thieves, Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. I find this fascinating. Paul doesn't say just give up your, your, your evil ways of, thieves, of being a thief, of stealing. He says work with your hands. Replace the bad with the good. And not only that, but replace that act of, of stealing with an act of generosity with your own hands. So he replaces this, hey, thou shall not steal, with, hey, do good to those who have need. Again, something about your, there's this, there's this tie with neighborliness, with this neighbor. In ancient times and still today, um, there, are, there are mainly three reasons why people steal. Number one, to make money. Number two, because they're addicted. There's a behavior um, of addiction that's involved with, with stealing. And number three, and this is what I want to focus on today, people steal because they don't have enough to survive. People steal because they don't have enough to survive. And I don't know if you've heard stories, but I remember my brother telling me a story when he was a Long Beach police officer that he had to arrest a woman for stealing diapers and baby food because she couldn't afford food for her three-month-old. There are people in our society that have to steal to survive. Now, 
If God says, thou shall not steal, then He has to create some type of system for this new community. Right? Some type of economic for the Israelites. So that people that, that have can share with those who don't have. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. I'm just going to read a couple of these and I want you to see what happens. God takes some time in Leviticus and Deuteronomy explaining what it means to be a good neighbor. He, he takes so much time in the Old Testament for the Israelites, this chosen community, to know what it means to be a good community. It's not just not about stealing. It's about being a good neighbor. And what does that mean? Well, that means that some people don't have enough. So Deuteronomy, I'm going to just go off of a few, uh, few verses. Deuteronomy chapter, don't go there, but 15 verses 1 through 8. It says, debts owed by the poor were to be canceled after seven years. There was no interest to be charged on loans to members of the community. Permanent hospitality was to be extended to runaway slaves. There was no collateral required on loans made to the poor. You were not allowed to withhold wages that were due to the poor. No injustice towards a resident or an alien or an orphan was to be done. The Israelite economy was this constant regular reminder and provision for the marginalized and the poor. The Israelites were supposed to take care of those that didn't have enough. That's why God can say, Thou shall not steal. Because those that have share with those that do not have enough. Deuteronomy 24 Verse 19 through 22. When you are harvesting in the field, this is a, a commandment that's found in Deuteronomy. When you are harvesting in your field, if you own land, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the aliens. The, basically, leave it for the immigrants. Leave it for the fatherless or the orphans and the widow, so that the Lord, Yahweh, your God, may be blessed may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Brothers and sisters, grain, oil, and wine. Those are the th three things listed. Grain, oil, and wine were the primary commodities for the agriculture, agriculture society that Israel lived in. And it, it's repeated three times. If you miss one, leave it for the, the, the immigrant, the orphans, and the widows. Do you see what God's doing in this new society, this, this Israelite nation? He's forming a way for those that don't have to get what they need from those that do have. The orphans, the widows, and the immigrants, these were people that had no power in that society. They had no access to gain commodity on their own accord, on their own strength. The systems that were set up disabled them from making enough to survive. So God says, hey, if you have land and you miss the, that, that section, don't go back. And so in the, in the early uh, ancient Near East, the Israelites that were poor would find, their, find themselves on those fields. You hear the story of Ruth doing the same thing. You read about this in the, New in the Old Testament. 
Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. I just want to integrate in our understanding. Go to Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. I want us to understand that the Old Testament marries worship and social justice. There was no distinguishment. There was nothing that would distinguish you serving the poor and you worshiping in the synagogue. Let me say that one more time. There's nothing that distinguishes you worshiping Yahweh in the synagogue, in the Holy of Holies, and you serving the poor. Deuteronomy 15, 7-11. If there is a poor man among your brothers, in your community, in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. I want to say that one more time. And just forget ancient Near East culture. Just hear this from, for, for yourself right now. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor the, this wickedness thought, this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debt is near, so that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give gen- generously to him and do not uh, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all the work and everything that you put your hand to. There will always be the poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. Basically, because this was set in stone, that the seventh year, anyone that you lend to that's poor could be freed from that debt. God says, hey, just because it's coming up on the seventh year, don't not lend to them. But I will bless what you do if you do this. How is this settling? This is Deuteronomy. (laughs) The understanding of taking care of your neighbor is directly related to loving God. Taking care of your neighbor is directly related to loving God. Let me just say this again. Jesus says, love the Lord your God. Vertical relationship. I've talked about this. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your soul. Something like that. And love your neighbor as yourself. There is a correlation between our ability to love God and our ability to love our neighbor and our ability to love ourselves. You see that. You cannot love God without loving your neighbor and you can't love your neighbor without loving yourself. What does that mean? You can't love yourself without being loved by God and loving Him back. And that will simply overflow into loving your neighbors. Do you see this parallelism? In Deuteronomy, it's clear to the Jewish community that you cannot worship God without caring for those that are in need among you. This, I mean, I just listed like seven verses in Deuteronomy. There are so many verses. I could go to Isaiah. I can go throughout the entire Old Testament. All the minor prophets pretty much have to do with this. Especially Amos. All throughout the Old Testament, you hear God and prophets reminding the Israelites that they were once slaves in Egypt. That God loved them first. And they're called to love their neighbors. 
And this, I love this. Love, um, love of God comes as a love for a neighbor with immediate, concrete, economic dimension. Write this down. This is from that commentary I read last night by Walter Brueggemann. This hit me. This is what hit me. Love of God comes as love for neighbor with immediate, concrete, economic dimension. What does that mean? Well, when you pass out lunches on Thursday night with the small group of men and women that go to the First Friends, there is an immediate economic dimension. Because a family's there celebrating this 14-year-old's birthday at a homeless shelter. This 14-year-old that's going into high school is celebrating his 14th birthday with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a bag of chips, some orange, oranges cut up, and because someone, one of our, our, our members in our community um, knew that, they brought a birthday cake and they celebrated with a birthday cake. I thought this was about stealing. <laughs> we'll go to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. If stealing is what's out of bounds, remember the Ten Commandments are, are restrictions. This is what uh, enables us to play. If we, if, we, if we break a commandment, we're not even playing the game. So it's, restri- it's the restrictions on what's out of bounds. But it's not really explaining what's in bounds. Paul, in verse 8, gives us what it means to play the game. He says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. This is about stealing. No, it's about love. If it's permission for ownership, then it's a permission to respect owners. It's about love. How do we fulfill the commandment? Well, we love our neighbors. Go to John chapter 13. Jesus just gets done washing His disciples' feet. John 13, verse 34. He's going to explain, He just explains to His disciples that He's going to be betrayed and He's going to be crucified. And after He washes His disciples' feet and explains that He's going to be crucified, He looks to His eleven disciples and He says to them, in verse 34, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me read this one more time and just maybe close your eyes and let this hit if, if, you, if this is hitting you. Jesus washes his disciples' feet, tells them he's going to go and go to the cross. He's going to be betrayed. And he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's, it's no surprise that the, the church in Acts 
is described by Luke as a community that has no needs. In Acts chapter 2 and 4, there are no needy among them. It, it, this, there's snapshots in the book of Acts of this community caring for each other's needs. People are selling their possessions, not everything, every time, but giving to those that don't have enough. Why would they do that? Well, this is the new Israel. In Deuteronomy, God says, hey, this is how you're supposed to take care of the poor. But because of the system and regulations and because we're selfish, people weren't able to do that. They never did the year of Jubilee. They rarely followed the seven-year uh, debt consolidation thing. They didn't, they didn't fulfill the law. And Jesus comes and He gives us His Spirit. And guess what? The new Israel, the church, is fulfilling the law. Luke says there are no needy among them. In fact, there are so many needy coming. In fact, they start distributing food amongst the widows that don't have enough food. And there's a problem because there's too many of them. So they have to grow the church leadership and, and, and elect elders and leaders to lead the community. And I, you know, I was looking into history and you think, oh, that's just an axe. Well, Tertullian, um, a second and third century theologian, says this about what was going on in his community. It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. He was describing what was going on. Pontinius, another, auto, he, he wrote an autobiography on a guy named Cyprian. He was a bishop of Carthage in the third century. This is the third century. I'm just wanting to give you a little perspective. He says this about what his um, bishop would tell people. He said, the people were being assembled together. He first of all urges them um, about the benefits of mercy. Then he proceeds to add that there is nothing remarkable in cherishing merely our own people. There's nothing remarkable in simply cherishing our own people with the due attention of love. But that one might become perfect, who should do something more than a heathen men or publicans um, do by overcoming evil with good and practicing a merciful kindness like that of God would love his enemies well. Thus good was done to all men, not merely to the household of God. In the ancient church, in the first 400 years, until this day, we need to be reminded every single time, guys, that we do not exist for ourselves. The church exists for the world. Thou shalt not steal is simply permission to, to respect ownership, to own, but it has so much more to, than that. It has to do with being good neighbors. And I just wonder how we're doing on that. I just I remember when the Long Beach Project was this small group of people that just literally served together at the homeless shelter, that prayed together, that, that didn't have pettiness about itself. But I believe we are marked. And I think there are parts of us that are, but I think something happened. But there are parts of us that were marked by love for one another. By that, the world would know we represent Jesus Christ. Because in our community, the homeless were welcomed and celebrated and loved. In our community, those that didn't have, those that had, shared with those that didn't have enough. 
And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it played out. We talk about the community garden. We talk about the rescue mission or what we did at the rescue mission. There's a small group of people that's meeting at First Friends on Thursday night. And I just had the most wonderful experience there last Thursday. I sat, held hands with three guys and listened to this guy who's homeless eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on Thursday night, thanking God for five minutes for all that God had provided for him. Joyfully praising God with the excitement of Jesus on his heart. And I was convicted to my core. I'll just confess, I've blown it big time. I've become so comfortable in the area of Long Beach that I live in. My friends look like me. I have dinners and meals with people that are in this church and that are believers most of the time. And I don't know if I'm going out of my way to take care of those that don't have enough. And sure, yeah, I'm good on thou shalt not steal most of the time unless it comes to music. I'll borrow that. But I feel like the message this morning was for us just to be reawakened to this. I walked around downtown Long Beach yesterday on 7th and Pine just up the street with my wife and we were blown away by who is outside and how we don't represent that community in downtown Long Beach. And it's not something to be guilted in. It's just something to be reminded about. Are you guys hearing me? I think as I was praying through this, this is something we, we desperately need to pray about. We desperately need to pray about where our time goes, where our heart is. We were in the, 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 the prayer service before this, praying for this time, and, and we just, there was a theme that was just kind of coming up that, that God would give us a heart that would weep and that our tears would become prayers for the city. I mean, we know this is the most diverse city in the U.S. This is the second highest gay population in the U.S. It has the second highest gay population in the U.S. A quarter of all Long Beach residents are below the federal standard line of poverty. That means four, family of four make less than $18,000 a year. And we have a population of about 450,000 people, so do the math. It's a lot of people. And I, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if we're going to grow as a church, I only want it to grow with the gospel being spoken to the poor, to the sick, and those that need it. Most church plants today grow because of church transplant. They just, they just transfer over. How amazing would it be if as a community we said, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to go out to those that need Jesus more. And here's what I just want to offer today. The, the message might hit some of you differently. This isn't about... Last, last week's message was powerful. I mean, man, husbands stepping up, pornography addiction, we're calling out sin, and there were some great times of response. Some of you need to stay there and work on that. Some of you are hearing this message, and there just needs to become a shift in your mind to look at people differently, to look at your neighbors differently. And some of you need to get up and go out and serve. Here's what we're not going to do at this church. We are not going to create a buffet of opportunities for everyone to serve. I don't believe that's what the church call, is called to be. 
This is not a place for us to say, here's all that you can do, come sign up. That's not how, that's not how real movements take place. That's not how ministries flourish. It starts with one or two people saying, hey, I'm really called or passionate about this thing. What do you guys think? I think it would be amazing if this church would just say, if we looked back from this day and we say we see 60 homeless ministries started. We see 100 global mission trips. We see, we see neighbors coming out of homes to meet each other. We see love. We see people in our community getting out of debt. And all we can say is that it's the year of the Lord. It doesn't start with a guy talking on Sunday. It starts with one person saying, hey, I'm going to share this meal once a month, once a week. And I believe that as a church, if we, say, if we commit ourselves to the fellowship, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, talks about the, there, was, uh, there was all these people gathered. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to each other. If we devoted ourselves to each other, mission would overflow to the city because we would know how to love one another. We could take care of our, our own needs. So would you, as I, just, as I invite the worship team up, as I, I try to land this message, would you just listen to John 13 one more time? I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, I, um, I just want to confess that I like, it, like to be comfortable. I like things to be easy. And sometimes hanging out with people that don't look like me is uncomfortable. I just confess at, for our church the lack of care. Some of us are awesome at this, but Lord, most of us, we don't know how. Lord, and I pray that this church, the, the gathering of the people here, would live up to its name. That we would Loose the bonds of injustice. Undo the thongs of the, of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. That we would share our bread with those who are hungry and bring the homeless and the poor into our homes. And when we see the naked, that we would cover them. And that we would not hide ourselves from our own kin. Lord, may your light shine and break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly Lord would you help us remove the yoke from among us from pointing the finger of speaking evil 
Help us to offer your food, our food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted. And will your light rise in the darkness and the, your gloom, our gloom, be like the noonday. And this is our, where we get our name from. Lord, will you guide us continually and satisfy our needs in parched places. Make our bones strong and may we be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail, whose ancient ruins are rebuilt. Help us to raise up the foundations of many generations and be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden, or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org. I come to wait.